Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. If you're following along in your Bible, we're in Genesis chapter 1. Again, we started there last week. We're teaching through Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 in a series called Beginnings. And um, kind of looking at how God created the universe and um, then how we kind of messed it all up, and then God's plan for how to restore it all back to the way it used to be. And so I um, hope you've learned something. I hope you learned something last week. I hope you kind of took it to heart. I had a mix this week of people who were like really challenged and loved what we taught last week and said they had never heard that before in church. And that's crazy, but it's kind of how it goes sometimes, you know. And, uh, and then I had some people just hammered me all week, so it's okay either way. I, I love all of you either way, so doesn't really matter, but I'm just going to do my best to come up here and just teach God's Word, the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. Sometimes even the maps, we'll teach it all, and uh, whatever it takes to like communicate God's Word to you, I'm going to try my best to do that, give it all I got. So, But if you want to follow along in your own Bible, Genesis chapter 1 will be kind of the tail end of that chapter and the beginning of chapter 2 today. Um, but if you were here last week, just by way of review, we kind of looked at the first about five and a half days of God's creation of the universe, five and a half days worth. And we got into day six there, but didn't quite finish it up. We're going to finish it up today. But in those first five and a half days, we read through the text, and I, there's a lot you could have pulled out there, but I really just kind of pulled out three key things I wanted us to grasp onto. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer of the way, I wanted you to kind of grab three key pieces of information from that text um, and they, uh, I'll put them on the screen for you by way of review. They were that God created everything out of nothing. I don't know if you remember us talking about that last week, that God created everything out of nothing, that God created at the beginning or in the beginning, um, and that God created with his words. I don't know if you remember those three things from last week, but those are pretty important that God didn't just assemble stuff out of things that already existed. He created out of nothing, right? And that God um, didn't create a bunch of stuff and then forgot to record a bunch of stuff that he created earlier. Uh, he created everything at the beginning, okay? All that he created was at the beginning. We're going to see that today where he kind of concludes the creation process or account. And then that God creates differently. God creates differently than anything you've ever seen or imagined or heard before. He doesn't do it with his hands or with tools. He does it with his mighty words. When God speaks Everything obeys, and so God is able to just create with his words, and so that's helpful because it can teach you to rely on everything God says. If he made a promise, you can bank on it because his words are creative and powerful, and they can do anything, and so that was kind of the review of last week, and I shared with you guys also that I have a goal for you in this series, and my goal for you is that I want you to see the glory of God. If, if maybe that's something you've never really considered or uh, if you've looked around at creation or, or mountains or rivers or oceans or people or animals or anything and you've never really stopped to consider that they have a creator, you've never stopped to consider the bigness or the greatness or the power of God, I want you to see that in this five-week series. I want you to see how glorious and grace-filled and beautiful uh, and good and true God's creation and his power and everything about him is and I also shared with you last week that, and this will come up over and over again in the series, but that everybody has access to the same evidence. Everybody has access to all the same clues and proof and scientific data. 
And so whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you all get access to the same information. The difference in interpretation all comes down to your worldview. And if your worldview is that I believe there's a creator, I have faith in a God, then you're willing to accept what God says happened. And if you don't believe that, if your worldview is atheistic and you don't believe there's a creator or a maker, then you're going to interpret all that data from a skewed perspective of there is no God. And so you're going to come to different conclusions. And uh, just want to own one thing I said last week. I always go back and listen to my own podcast, not because I think I'm such a great preacher, but that's my best way of trying to become a better preacher. So I'm always trying to critique myself and, and listen to myself teach. And so I went back. I just want to own one thing I said Last week, I called all the people who um, believe in evolution and billions and billions of years and uh, even the atheists and all that 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 don't even believe there is a God. I kind of called all them psychos last week. That wasn't the word I was looking for. But sometimes when you're up in front of everybody, you're hunting for a word in your head, especially as you get a little older, you can't find that word. And I was trying to get to the word physicist and I couldn't think of it. And so psychos came out. And I want you to know, I really don't think that the atheist out there that doesn't believe there's a God, I don't think they're a psycho, okay? I think they have a different worldview than me. I disagree with that worldview, and I think that I have the right worldview. They think they have the right worldview. I don't think they're a psycho. I just think that they are unbelievers. They don't believe in the the God that I claim to believe in, the God that I look at the evidence and the science and the proof and I believe exists. So I just wanted to kind of clear that up. I was listening back last week. I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. You know, every once in a while I do that. I'll say something like, oh, what was I thinking? Sometimes I beat myself up about it when I'm by myself. But um, anyhow, so, so that was kind of a recap of last week. I want you to each week see this glory of God on display um, all around us in the universe. Let me just start off today reading you another passage, one we didn't look at last week, Psalm 33, starting in verse 6. The Lord merely spoke. There's that idea again, right? And the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the seas its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. That's kind of a goal we've got in this series, right? That we would all be awed or wowed by God's power and his greatness and his grace poured out in creation. And so I hope you'll get a chance to kind of just take in some of the evidence and see that. I also brought back my Ferris wheel because I failed last week at it. It wasn't Lee's fault, was it Lee? It was actually my fault. So I have to own that too, I guess. But, but it won't hurt my feelings if you want to continue to believe it was Lee's fault. So let me turn this on. Let's try it again, okay? So now I got it going, right? So if you weren't, it's still kind of loud though, right? Yeah. It was just snagged on something last week, Opie, is all it was. But. So I brought this Ferris wheel with me last week, and I just challenged everybody. And this is kind of the whole worldview idea. If you came into this room and there were no people here, the chairs weren't set up, the lights weren't on, and you turned the lights on, and the only thing that was in this room was this Ferris wheel, and it was sitting at center court, and it was spinning like it is right now. If you saw that sitting there, you would conclude based on the evidence, based on the data, based on the proof you can see, you would conclude that somebody put that together and sat it there and turned it on. And if you concluded that it just happened out of random chance, other people would kind of think you were a little, right? I'm just saying, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying somebody might think that, right? 
And, but that's really the worldview perspective, okay? If your worldview is one of, I believe there's a God and a maker, then you see all that evidence, you see the Ferris wheel, and you conclude that somebody must have designed that and put it there and got the whole thing going. And if your worldview is that there is no God, that I don't even know if there is a God, or I'm definitely sure there isn't a God, then you would see that same data and you would come to a different conclusion. Your conclusion might be that there was stardust that just banged and created that Ferris wheel out of nothing. And, and it isn't that you're looking at different data, it's just that you're reaching a different conclusion and the conclusion isn't based on science. It's based on your worldview, right? And so that's what we're looking at in this series. And I don't know if that would be offensive to an atheist or offensive to an evolutionist or whatever, but I'm just saying that's what's really going on. I think there's a lot of people on both sides of that argument. You could find a lot of atheistic scientists who would tell you that this isn't their religion, that they only look at the facts, and you could find a lot of preachers or, or Christian apologists or creationists that say that they only look at the facts, that, that they don't bring their subjective worldview to the table. But I'm telling you, I don't think that's true. I think that every person brings their subjectivity, their worldview to the table when examining any, any evidence, any facts that are out there. And that's what's happening in this debate. That's why you can look at all the same evidence. You can show somebody on the other side of the issue Bible verses or uh, a textual criticism or proof that you find in nature or fossils that are dug up. And they can look at all that exactly the same with exactly the same amount of intellect and insight and come to a completely different conclusion. Because at some point, it all comes down to your faith. It all comes down to, are you going to believe there's a maker or not? Are you going to look at the Ferris wheel and conclude that somebody must have made it? Or are you going to look at the Ferris wheel and conclude it just happened, that we're all just monkeys? And that's the question you got to ask yourself. And so that's kind of what we're looking at in this series. And I want you to see that God is a good God, a beautiful God, a true God, but that the world is trying to rip those three things away from you trying to convince you that God is not good, he's bad. It's not beautiful, he's ugly, that he's not true. Everything he says or everything you think you know about God is a lie. And that's really the battle that's going on here. And maybe you look at that Ferris wheel, and I was thinking this this week, maybe you look at that Ferris wheel if you came in the room, and you would think to yourself like, well, that could have just happened because it's kind of small. And so maybe little stuff could randomly happen, but if it was bigger on a big scale, maybe it would happen. So I did some hunting. And I found the largest Ferris wheel in the world. I'm going to show it to you. It's on the screen. It's in Dubai. It's called the Ain Dubai. It's 820 feet high, which is over eight stories high. And I just want to read you what their website says about this. You can go there and take a ride on it if you want. It's the world's biggest and tallest Ferris wheel. It opened to the public about a year and a half ago, October 21st, 2021. It's located on Blue Waters Island and offers views of the Dubai skyline. It's 820 feet tall, required 11,200 tons of steel to build, according to their website. It also takes the cake when it comes to a record number of passengers, able to hold at any one time a seating capacity of 1,750 people. Each air-conditioned cabin is able to hold a maximum of 40 riders, but the ride won't be like jumping on the Ferris wheel at your local fair. 
One full rotation on the Ain Dubai takes 38 minutes to get around, but luckily food and beverages and concessions are available for you board. And so if you flew into Dubai and you were looking at this Ferris wheel from the sky as you rolled in, would you conclude that it just appeared out of nowhere? That it didn't have a maker? Or would you look at that and think, somebody must have built that, must have put it together, must have turned it on, right? That's what we're talking about on a larger scale. So maybe you look at everything we shared last week and you think, well, I think a lot of that stuff could have just happened. And so God's going to come on the scenes in our passage today, and he's going to be like, I'm going to make something even better, the creme de la creme, the, the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the, the pinnacle of my creation something extra special, something that should leave no doubt that it couldn't just happen randomly, that there had to be a maker, there had to be a creator, his best of all his creation. Let me read it to you and then we'll talk about it today. It's in Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now he uses the plural there. It's interesting. We're not going to spend too much time talking about that, but this is God's first reference to him being a plurality, him being um, a a, a trinity or a union, that he's one God with three distinct personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to see that many times all throughout his word. You see that when Jesus is baptized. You'll see that later on right before the flood when he says, let us destroy everything we've created. He's going to use this plurality to describe himself, that he is three personalities rolled into one person. He is the God, or in theology you call him the Godhead or the triune God, the Trinity. So he uses that. He says, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then verse 31 says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Then you get to the beginning of chapter 2. And the creation process, the account, the the recounting of everything God did to create is summed up. He ends it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Everything in them was completed. This is the account, verse 4. This is the account of creation. Last week I stopped, I challenged you to stop calling this a story because that comes across to our kids like it's a fairy tale. But this is an account, not a story of the creation of the heaven, heavens and the earth. This is God's creation. It's summed up for us now. We've seen it all. We've read it all. We've talked about it all. And he gets to this last piece that he's going to create us. And he creates something so extra special, so beautiful, that he would think it would leave no doubt in anybody's mind that it must have had a maker. It must have had a creator. In fact, I've said to people in discussions many times before, like the Bible spends almost no time trying to prove God exists. 
It's an assumed reality. It's an assumption all along the way that, that God just exists. There's no proof given from day one the creation could look around and conclude there was a God. They knew it. There was no doubt about it. And you find no biblical authors that really seek to prove there's a God. It's just an assumed reality. And so God creates all these things and, and, and does it for his own good pleasure. And he doesn't do it because he's lonely. Like sometimes I've heard that. Like God wasn't lonely and needed you to like keep him company. That, that's not true. There was already three of them. Like he had three personalities. He wasn't lonely. There's nothing in God's word that says he was lonely and needed us to fill a void in his life. God was perfect and complete. No, he chose to create us of his own good will. Just to put on display his own power and magnificence and glory. To display his greatness to a creation. And so he creates us the pinnacle achievement of his creative work. And I went through this week and I just tried to look up a bunch of like kind of interesting facts about the human body. And there's like hundreds of them, you know. But let me just give you like 10 I pulled out this week studying uh, on my own and just kind of share these with you. Like just be awed, in awe of how amazing the human body is, right? So here's the first one. At any given time, there are a few trillion bacteria living inside of your body. Not only do they not kill you, but you would be unable to keep living without them in you. That's fascinating. This, this symbiotic co-dependency that God has made on us and bacteria, right? Number two, I wrote down that all humans have been identified as 99% identical to each other. There's only 1% difference in all of us. Yet because of that 1% difference, we have virtually little to no problem telling each other apart. Except when you're upset with one of your kids and you're trying to remember their name. Then, it, then you like start calling them all kinds of different names. You just like, I call our kids the dog's name sometimes. Like, I can't remember. But, um... And so it's like, we're like one race. I love that. There's so little difference among us. No matter what country you were born in or the color of your skin or your hair or your eyes, or like, most of us is exactly the same. I love that. The third one I wrote down was that there are 100,000 miles of blood vessels inside your body. Now, I'll put that in perspective for just a second that would be enough that if they took all of your blood vessels and laid them end to end, your blood vessels would wrap around the earth four times. One person. That's unique, intricate, pretty amazing. You shed about eight pounds of dead skin each year. Some of you are like, I like to shed a few more. I think most of that just settles in our homes as dust, probably. But ironically, none of us ever like wither away to nothing because every second our body is also producing 25 million new cells. That's fascinating. I like this one too. I read that the average human eye, if everything else is completely dark, is able to observe the light from a candle flame over 1.7 miles away. That's crazy. Of course, maybe you've heard this one before that no two fingerprints have ever been the same, including your own fingers. None of them are the same. 
And that's fascinating, but I was reading further and it said that that same exact principle applies to every single human being ever's tongue. No two tongue prints have ever been the same. I don't know who's taken tongue prints. That might be like the new way to sign into your iPhone in a couple years. I'm not sure. But like no two tongue prints are the same either, right? And then I read this one this week that the acid inside of your stomach is so strong that it can literally dissolve certain types of metal. And yet somehow it doesn't eat its way through us. That's pretty specific and amazing. I read this one this week that without your pinky finger, I used to like bet guys like if they'd let you chop off their pinky finger for like a million bucks. You know? So uh, <laughs> not that I would do that or anything, but without your pinky finger, your hand loses more than 50% of its strength. Just this little tiny pinky on the end. And then the 10th one I wrote down was that I got no explanation for this evolutionarily or creatively. I got no explanation for this, but your fingernails grow three times faster than your toenails. I don't know why that is other than maybe God knew that like as I got to my age, it'd be a lot harder to clip my toenails. And he was like, I can't get down there as often as I can get to my fingernails. So maybe he made it a little slower growth down there. But it's like, that's fascinating because they seem like the same thing. And yet somehow... They've been designed to grow three times slower than my fingernails. Now, you could look at all of those details and all of that intricacy, and you could conclude that it just happened randomly. But I don't. My worldview forces me to look at those details and that evidence and those proofs and think somebody must have designed it that way. For it to all work together so perfectly, for it to all be so beautifully designed for it to all be so creative looking. Somebody must have done it. The maker. And so I give him credit for it. And I give him glory and praise for it. And I give all the attention and honor to him for doing that. Let me walk back through that passage just for a second with you and just point out three things that God says in his word that make the human body or the human person unique or different from the rest of the things he created. Can I do that? Just, just for all the Jesus followers, Bible believers, all that stuff right now to start off. Can I just show you three things in this account that make humans different than the rest of what God created? The first one is this. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but we have a God-given appearance. None of the rest of creation God given that. None of the rest of creation is described as having a God-given appearance. Look back with me at chapter 1, verse 27. You'll see it again. Where it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, right? He gave us his reflection, his look, the imago Dei in Latin, the image of the deity, the image of God. And we reflect all that God is. Now, there's nothing in the text to conclude that that's simply our physical appearance or simply our inner parts. It's not just talking about our personality or our, our inside traits or our outside traits. I, I think it could be talking about all of it. There's nothing that leads us to believe either way, but, but somehow we are designed in a way where we reflect the very image of God, that we look like Him. Maybe we think like him. Maybe we are able to reason as he does. Maybe, but in some ways, we reflect who God is and what he looks like. 
None of the rest of the creation gets that, and it makes us extra special. Think about that just for a second. All of the greatness and the glory of God is mirrored through you to the rest of creation. God has given you a beautiful appearance, and yet the world would like to rip that away from you and convince you that you're not as pretty as other people, that you're ugly, that you're just the cousin of a monkey. Think about that for a second. The attack on the beautifulness of God and his creation. The second thing we're told that humanity is given that makes us different than all the rest of the creation is that we're given a God-given purpose. A God-given purpose. I don't know if you picked up on that or not, but let me read you where God starts that for the very first time in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We just looked at it. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, he would go on all throughout his word to expand this purpose. But here it starts that we're giving governance or reign over the rest of creation. Dogs don't sit around thinking how they can create zoos and how they can have pets at home. How they can love on and care for other animals and grow gardens. They don't think like that. We're the only creation that has this dominion over the rest of the creation. God, of course, will expand on that all throughout his word. Well, he'll say things like, it's our duty to worship him, to give back to him all that we have, to serve one another, to take all the talents and abilities he's given us and to use them to make a difference for eternity, to love other people. There's no command on the rest of creation to do that stuff. God isn't expecting any zebras to feed hungry elephants. He isn't expecting any llamas to care about their neighbors. But he is thrusting that level of purpose on our lives. This is a gift to you. It's the truth from God. But the world would love nothing better to convince you of the opposite. To get you believing and leveraging your life for anything but what would matter for eternity. To convince you that it's just today is all that matters. And so live for the now and just look for the next moment to have fun and enjoy yourself. Ripping apart God's truth and making you believe it's a lie. To ignore anything that could make a difference for eternity. And then the third thing that humanity receives that isn't given to the rest of the creation is a God-given character. Let me read it back to you where God begins this talk and he'll expand it all throughout his word, but it was back in verse 31 where he said, Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Now you might read over this and not realize it unless you really studied the text, but the rest of creation, after God made all of it, he just said that it was good. And then he creates humanity and he says, Now it's very good. There's something uniquely good about humanity. There's an imprint inside of us that we reflect God's character as well. That we're supposed to live morally as he does. He doesn't have that demand on the rest of the world. They're free to murder. They're free to do whatever they want and live selfishly. But we are to have good moral character like he does. We are very good. We're not just good we're very good. In fact, a few chapters later, I think Genesis chapter 9 maybe, I can't remember off the top of my head, but God will use this very exact phrasing to describe 
why we're not supposed to murder other humans. Because we've all been created reflecting God's image. And so whether they're American or some other nation or uh, our religion or some other religion, our color or some other color, our belief system or some other belief system, whether they look like us, sound like us, or think like us, they're all created in God's image and we're supposed to reflect God's moral character and so we're not supposed to take another human life. We're very good. It's our character. He wants us to reflect not only his appearance, but his purpose and his character as well. But the world aggressively tries to convince you that God's ideas aren't good, that they're oppressive and cruel. To believe that there is a God makes you a fool. So they try to turn you against even that thought. Now you get to Genesis chapter 2, and unlike the rest of creation, we're given a little bit more detail about the creation of humanity. I want to just read it to you real quick. You're given a little bit extra content. So let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's like they're going back and kind of giving you more specifics. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. This is the first thing God created that didn't come out of thin air or out of nothing. God takes the dust of the ground and he makes man. But then he does something else he had never done to this point. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living soul. Skip down to verse 18. Then the Lord God says, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman. This, here he is again, not making something out of nothing, but making something out of something from the rib. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man said. I love how my translation puts exclamation points on all this. At last. They're waiting for a girl, you know. The man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman. I've heard some people in the past, kind of Kenny-esque corniness, but I've heard some people in the past say the reason he called her woman was because when he saw her, he was like, whoa, man. Like he was pretty pumped. So I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't there. But um, because she was taken from man, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is the content we have on the creation of man in, Gen- in the Genesis account. And so you get these unique characteristics of humanity that don't exist with all the other creation. Look back with me at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the first one in that chapter I read again. I just want to point out to you that this is something unique to humanity that the rest of creation doesn't have. That we're given a soul. That God breathed his breath into us. He didn't just speak words. He breathed his breath into us and we became a living soul. Now, it's hard to define soul. In fact, the Bible doesn't really do a super good job of detailing what a soul is. But, but think of it this way. It's kind of like, it's like, the, it's like love, right? Like it's hard to tell somebody what love is, but like when you have love, you kind of know it. Soul's kind of like that. It's like the real you, you know? Like somebody could cut off your arm and you'd still be you. You, you know what I mean? Like if you got paralyzed tomorrow and couldn't walk, you would still be you, Right? 
It's the inside part of you that remains outside of, apart from your body, your physical nature. It's the inside part of you that is able to embrace the transcendence that we talked about last week. The the part of you that can love and consider things of eternity. The part of you that can think outside of just the here and now and and think about the future. And and a part of you that has a conscience. It has thoughts beyond just yourself. It's, it's the inside of you, beyond just emotion, beyond just physical traits. It's the, the real you. That if it wasn't there, there would be no you. If they came to the hospital and your body was completely intact and, and they could poke you and you'd still respond physically, but you were just kind of comatose. There was no you there. It'd be like your soul was kind of missing, right? That's this part of you. And God breathed that into us. It didn't do that to the rest of creation, and it, it allows us to reflect God in so many different ways. I think that's an important distinction to make for us. These are important truths that are repeated over and over again throughout God's Word, the things He's done, the way He's done them. Let me just read you a few more. I read you several last week, but Mark chapter 10, verse 6, Jesus says, But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. There's that phrase again, from the beginning of creation, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 45, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ. Christ is often called like the last or the second Adam. In all the ways that Adam failed to represent the human race, Jesus would fulfill all those ways and be the perfect Adam, the perfect man. The second Christ or the last Adam The Christ is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Verse 47 says, Adam was the first man. He was made from the dust of the earth. There's that phrase again. While Christ, the second man, came from heaven. You see these thoughts repeated all over the Bible. It's not just Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that gives us this account. It's littered all throughout the Bible how God created, what God created, what he did with us as he was creating us. It's woven all throughout the Bible to rip out Genesis 1 and 2 from your Bible and say as long as you believe in Jesus, it's okay. You're literally ripping out chapters and verses all over the place and you're making everybody question if any of it can be trusted or believed. And that's what's happening to all of our kids growing up. Think about those three things just for a second. A God-given appearance, a god given purpose and a God-given character. I don't think I have this in there, Cars, but can you put those three back up there if you flash back to those? I, think, I don't know if I had them all together, actually, but just flip through them for a second so anybody that's taking notes can write them down. But a God-given appearance, a God-given purpose, and a God-given character. Now, think about those three just for a second. How many people in our world struggle thinking they're ugly? How many people really battle thoughts of they're not beautiful when God says you're created in his image? How many people in our world really struggle to find any purpose or meaning in life when God says you've been created for a purpose? How many people really believe that all the things God says to do and don't do are ugly and untrue? And if there is a God, he wouldn't say to do those things because he must be against you. When God says, no, reflect my character, you have a God-given character. Do you you see like how God 
has created you extra special and unique. And he's done it in such a way that you reflect his image. He's done it in such a way to give you meaning and purpose. He's done it in such a way to change you on the inside and have you mirror his character. And the world is trying to rip those three things away from us all the time and convince you that God isn't good and beautiful and true, that he's bad and ugly and nothing but lies. This is the battle. This is the fight going on all around us. But all throughout God's word, he reminds us of these important truths because even I, somebody who believes in Jesus, somebody who embraces all that he says in his word, even I battle those same thoughts. Considering myself less than or ugly or inferior. Choosing laziness or or temporal things over eternal purpose. Always wanting to conclude that my way is right and picking immoral things that God says will wreck me and aren't best for me, that they're not good for me, but I conclude they are because I feel them. We're all guilty of this. We're all at risk of this. And so God reminds us over and over and over again of these truths all throughout his word. We Psalm 139 Verses 13 and 14, You, Lord, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. Paul would write it like this in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us, there's that phrase again, anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Purpose. His image, his purpose, his character. James teaches it to us like this in James chapter 1, verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, are his prized possession. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not random. Some random convergence of dust. You are extra special. And God's hope would be that every person and every creature could see you and know that he was real. They could see you and think there is no way That could just happen by accident. It's too beautiful. It's too good. It's too intentional. And I know you've believed lies just like me. I know you've beaten yourself up. And I know you wrestle with all the same inner struggles that I do. And I know that each of us in the room has chosen sinful, immoral things that God would tell us are bad not to do. I know it. But if you haven't heard anything else in a week and a half, I want you to know that what God is screaming through his creation, and especially through you that he created, is that he loves you. He loves you. You are not just like everything else. You're not a plant or an animal. You're not like a star. You are extra special. You are his kids his chosen ones. 
He offers you grace and compassion. He has stamped you and called you something unique, something valuable, a treasure, a masterpiece, a prized possession. You are something he'd die for. You are something he did die for. You are his, and he loves you. His love for you is unending. His mercies are new every day. His eye is always on you. That's who you are. And so if you're here today and you've wrestled greatly with who you are or what you should be doing or if you're good enough or all those questions that we all ask ourselves, God is looking at you down through the lens of creation and he's saying, look at what I made in you. You are beautiful. You are true. You are to be good. I want to give you all of my grace and make you all of the things I intended you to be when I created the very first version of you. You are mine. And I want to hold your whole life together. I know it feels like it's falling apart, but I want to hold it all together. And it made me think this week of the passage I shared with you last week. I'm going to share it again in a few weeks, but I just want to read it to you again. It's in Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 15, listen to this passage and just let the truth of God and who Jesus is to you and for you and in you just wash over you. Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all the creation. For through him, through who? Through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through Christ and for Christ. He existed before anything else and he holds all the creation together. And you might feel like you're falling apart, like you can't get any of it right, like you're a mistake or an accident, but Jesus is screaming out to you today, I am holding you together. I love you. I've given you everything I can for you to see me and know I love you. Believe it. See the evidence and see it through my lens. Believe it. Got me thinking about that series I shared with you last week about the protein molecule molecule laminin. And uh, some of you have heard me talk about this before. You've seen it on those old passion DVDs that I was talking about last week, but Last week, I shared with you a picture of the Whirlpool Galaxy, and it was 31 million light years from Earth, and the very center of it was the X structure, and some people see a cross, some people don't. I don't need that X structure in the Whirlpool Galaxy to convince me that God loves me, but it's kind of cool, and my worldview helps me to see God's creative beauty there, too. But from 31 million light years away, it's like creation is screaming at me, God loves me. God's beautiful and good and true and has a plan for my life. And then I was thinking this week about the laminin protein molecule. It's inside your body. And it's literally like a molecule of cohesion. It's kind of, it holds other cells together in your body. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before or not. But I downloaded a scientific diagram picture. If you're teaching this in like biology class in college, here's a picture the professor might put on the screen of what a laminin molecule looks like. That's kind of cool, I think. Maybe you just see a T or a molecule and maybe your worldview causes you to see a cross there. That from 31 million light years away, God is screaming, I love you. And on the molecular level, he's also screaming, I love you. 
and I would die for you and I would do anything for you. And the cool thing about this molecule is like humanity wouldn't exist without it. It's like glue. It's kind of like the human body's version of concrete rebar. Like if it isn't in there, it's going to crack and start to fall apart. It's, the, it's like a cohesion molecule. It's what holds all of the rest of us together. And ironically, in Colossians, we're told that Christ is the glue that holds all creation together. They discovered this molecule in 1979. That was a good year. Somebody I know was born that year. My wife. But um, now you know how old we are. But, um, but yeah, it was discovered in 1979 under an electron microscope. You want me to show you a picture of it under an electron microscope, what it looks like? This is what it looked like in 1979. The laminin protein molecule. At the microscopic level inside of all humanity. And 31 million light years away in the middle of the Whirlpool galaxy are these structures. They look like crosses or X's or just screaming of God's beauty and his design, and his brilliance, and his goodness, and his truth. And I just ask you today, is it time to repent? Repent just means change your mind about. Is it time to change your mind about all the evidence? That's it. Is it time to change your worldview about all the evidence? And just believe that there's a maker, there's a creator, and that he is holding us all together and screaming at you at the top of his lungs, I love you, and I will forgive you, and I will restore all the beauty you think you've lost, and I will make right all the wrongs, and I will give you grace. It's unlimited. My glory is shouting at you from creation. Don't walk away. Don't conclude I don't exist. Don't turn your back on me, but embrace it. Just change your mind about the way you've been thinking about me. I'm greater than you realize. I'm bigger than you thought I was. I'm better than the world's telling you I am. I'm offering you unlimited love. Don't reject it. That's it for today. That's it. I hope you'll come back next week and hear the rest. But for today, will you just repent of how you've been viewing the evidence? Will you just tell God you're sorry? Be like, hey, from this day forward, when I see a tree, when I see a human, when I see myself in the mirror, I'm going to give you credit for making something good and beautiful and true. I'm going to recognize that it's Jesus that's holding me together and offering me grace and forgiveness for all my sins. And I'm going to give him praise for it. That's it. He, he is that great. And so that's the challenge for us today as a church, where you go out of here and not just hear some information, but where you put it into practice and finally praise the creator, praise the maker, and give him credit for what he's doing all throughout our universe and even deep down inside of you, holding us together, the source of all life. Can I pray for you? Dear God, this isn't all of your truth, but it is good truth for us. Will you let it just wash over our hearts right now? Will you convict everybody in the room so that each of us will repent of the things we need to repent of? the way we've believed lies, the way we've chosen to disobey your commands, the way we've looked at ourselves and thought we were less than instead of loved on. And God, would you just reach into our group right now and convince the doubter he was here. Convince them that they are not inferior, that they are not less than. 
but that you are always loving on them. God, would you convince them? Break us down. Make us undone. Convict us in our spirit, in our soul, that we are so unique and that you love us. And help us to embrace that truth today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than a life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.